outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on FishingBooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at FishingBooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon. This is episode number 195, and today we are back for our final rut radio episode of the 2017 season and we're recapping what types of things we learned what were the themes and trends from the past season and we check in with hunters from across the country to get their perspectives too all right welcome back folks to another episode of the wired to hunt podcast and we are here today with our final, well, you could say it's our first Rut Radio episode of 2018, but it's also our final Rut Radio episode of the 2017 season. Um, it just so happens that it's in the new year. And today, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of take a high-level look back at the year, at the season, um, and at the different trends and... Um, Oh geez, I don't know. We've we've each week over the last three or four months now, right? We've talked to different hunters all across the country about what's happening in the whitetail woods, what kind of activity they've seen, how the conditions have been impacting deer behavior, what types of tactics have been working, and we've done that week by week by week by week, and that's been interesting to follow, you know, on a short term basis. But I think if you pull back and look at this from a from a 30,000 foot overview, there's some interesting things we can learn from that as well, looking at the season in kind of its entire, um, in its entirety, I guess. And that's something I think we can learn from and then apply to the next season and future years. So that's kind of what I was hoping we could do in today's episode. And of course, um, Spencer Newharth, of course, is with us. And Spencer, you have been doing an awesome job all season putting these episodes together. So I just want to first off, Thank you for taking the time to do this, for connecting with so many different people and getting their their reports and insights on what's happening. Um, I can say personally, I've gotten a lot from this, and I know our listeners have too. So, uh, so well done, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate that, Mark, and I enjoy making these, and so I hope uh, people enjoy listening to them as much as I enjoy uh, producing them. Yeah. So, so what are your thoughts on today's episode? What do you What are we going to try to achieve here? Well. As you mentioned in the past, uh, all of our reports that we received have been very immediate, uh, looking at what's happened in the last seven days and looking at what's probably going to be happening in the next seven days. So this episode is obviously very different uh, when we step back and look at the themes for the 2017 season. And so there are five things in particular that I, I picked up on um, kind of ending the the season. This year we, we covered 33 states for Route Radio. Uh, I believe we had was about 57 total reports over 14 episodes. And so I spent all that. Uh, there was about five things that stuck out to me, and those five things all happened to come up in today's episode when reflecting on the the fall of 2017. And so, and actually, Spencer, real quick, before you jump on those, um, just so that our listeners know what's coming up too, right? It's not just you and me talking today about reflect, reflecting on the season, but we also have some of our guest reporters back to reflect on the entire season as well. Is that right? 
Yeah, and kind of the same idea, recover, or, uh, covering the, the Whitetail Nation. And we started in Nebraska and talked to Bryce Lamley from Sitka. Uh, then we go to Illinois and talk to Alex Gilstrom from Whitetail Properties. And then in New York from QDMA is Matt Ross. And then we talked to Tony Peterson in Minnesota with Bow Hunter Magazine. Uh, these guys have hunted all beyond the borders of their states as well. And so um, bringing in these four uh, kind of helped us get a, a wide view of the entire uh, you know, whitetail woods in the, the U.S. And so those five themes that I had mentioned previously, one of them being uh, the EHD recovery. And a, a lot of the U.S. was hit in 2012 with EHD and, and kind of we're still feeling uh, the aftershock of that. And, and it varies in the Dakotas. I feel like our deer numbers are back. I wrote a blog post on Wired to Hunt, I think, a year ago saying how this could be the the glory days you know that we always want to talk about and, and reflect on because right now the age structure is starting to develop again uh and we're seeing a lot of deer who have never been pressured before because with that ehd uh you, you get a, typically a big cutback in tag numbers um there's less hunters in the woods for the period of time after and so what i've seen is that a lot of deer just haven't been educated yet in my area uh, be, because there isn't a ton of hunters out there chasing a ton of deer. And so we'll talk about the EHD recovery today and, and both sides of the coin, Nebraska, Bryce didn't feel like they're seeing as well, where Tony, who hunted the Dakotas, uh, feels like those populations are really starting to come back. And then we, we move into October, uh, and this year I, I re- recall in the last couple weeks of October that there was a lot of optimistic reports. And the number one thing to attribute that to were the cold fronts that seemed to hit all the right notes. Uh, and Alex had a quote, something like this. He, he said, some, if you were to pick out a calendar and, and circle the dates that you wanted a cold front in, in 2017, it felt like we got that this year. Yeah. You know, on that note, if I can jump in, I, I kind of thought the same thing. Like, I thought, oh, man, we just have been, we're getting just the gift of all gifts as far as the right weather at the right time because i at least here in michigan and ohio we had this big cold front that hit like october 24th or 25th where it dropped like 20 or 30 degrees or something i just thought that was gonna blow the doors off of things um and we did get that weather which should have been great now for my own personal experiences though i didn't see the increase in activity that i was expecting um to to go along with that front now of course you know we can't make any big picture um, takeaways from just a single person situation from what I saw in Michigan and, and from Ohio trail cameras and stuff. Um, but that was one thing that I personally experienced. It was the great weather, and then I just didn't get the increased activity that I was hoping for. And that even continued into November a bit because, you know, as as we as I'm sure you're mentioning here, that that great October weather continued all the way through like early November. I I can't remember a year that we've had better weather during the rut, at least in the places I was hunting. I feel like every year, um, at least for the last decade, when I've really been following this closely, during the rut you always end up, at least for me it seems, that there always seems to be like a day or two or three or four where you get these abnormally hot temperatures and everyone's bummed about it, 70 degree temperatures in early November, screwing up the best weeks of the rut. This year, at least where I was at, we didn't get that. We just had perfect cold to cool weather from you know like october 24th straight on through november i mean you couldn't ask for anything more from that standpoint but i also wonder because of that if we didn't have any huge drops like relative drops like it dropped october 24th 25th 26th somewhere around there into like the 40s and again this is where i was at of course these temperatures might be different across the country um but if i remember right Temperatures just kind of stayed steadily cool for the next like three weeks. Like there wasn't any big ups and downs from that standpoint. And I wonder if that may maybe, while I guess I'd rather have this than have a bunch of hot temps, it maybe we didn't have those like huge bursts of cold front activity that sometimes you get when you get a 20 or 30 degree temperature drop um, simply because it just kind of stayed steady at that point. And again, like I've said several times, that was just what I experienced. I don't know if you heard anyone else bring up something along those those lines, but it was kind of an interesting weather year during the rut. Better, certainly way better than it could have been. But I wonder if maybe the lack of like big changes um, kind of led to a little bit of a stagnant flow to some of the running activity that we see. Does any of that ring ring a uh, ring a bell with you at all? 
Well, I, I think bringing up that those those cold fronts seemed well timed. If at the very least, it gives hunters some confidence, uh, and it'll get guys in the tree stand if they feel like they need to wait for a cold front. Um, there was multiple, you know, small ones as you mentioned that seemed to hit all the way from mid October all the way to the the beginning of November. And so, if you were waiting on a cold front, you likely got to hunt one at some point during what you considered some good rutting action and. I've always considered that a potential factor in the past, why guys think that cold fronts uh, are so great from hunting, just because maybe it gives them a little more confidence and it focuses you when you're in the tree stand, and maybe you pick one of your better tree stands on one of those cold front days, and uh, it's not always attributed to the deer movement was potentially better, um, but you were just in a better spot and you were more focused. Hmm. I see what you're saying. So you're saying that maybe even if the cold fronts aren't impacting actual deer behavior, if if nothing else, just because so many people in the deer hunting media preach about cold fronts, it just increases hunters' confidence and leads to better hunts because of that? Yes, th- this is something I've been workshopping for a while, I guess, uh, <laughs> that if, if you see a cold front coming, you're going to be more confident that the deer movement uh, is going to be there. And so as you said, there's more guys in the woods. Uh, you're likely picking one of your better tree stands for that hunt. Uh, you're probably more focused because you're thinking, oh, you know, this could be it. And, and so I think we put a lot of stock into cold fronts and, and what they do to, do to deer movement. Um, and I think some of that is appropriate, but I think the other half of the coin is that uh, guys just find themselves in better positions than they would be if, say, a cold front wasn't there. You probably wouldn't be in that stand uh, because you wouldn't feel very good about the deer movement in that area. It's an interesting observation. I think there could be some truth to that. Um, I mean, I certainly love cold fronts. I think that there definitely is something to it. But uh, you can't deny the fact that there is a ton of hype around them these days, too. Like especially with social media and all the media, uh, just regular outdoor media now, too. Like, I remember that mid or that late October when that big front was coming through the country. If you looked at Instagram or Facebook or anything, there were so many people posting memes about it or all sorts of articles talking about better be in the woods. Heck, I made a YouTube video about it. I mean, there was all sorts of people talking about the front. So just the level, the level of talk about these big things coming across the country that impact deer hunting these days. Like, I think there's a level of uh, buzz about things, collective understanding about things that there probably was not 10 years ago. You know, 10 years ago, nobody was talking about this stuff, you know, at such a, high degree where so many people are hearing about the same thing so that's that's an interesting idea i think it's something to think about um but i do love those cold fronts yeah i i I love them as well i'm always going to be in a tree if i get a chance on a cold front but i think what we have is is potentially an echo chamber of everybody saying the same thing as you mentioned the media that you got to be there on a cold front and then uh that just gets repeated and it becomes fact almost and then i i know you've discussed with some biologists uh, how weather fronts affect your movement. I believe Lindsay might have touched on this with you one time, that there's no science that shows that cold fronts affect your movement. Uh, but I think he might may have, may have even admitted that that goes against some of his deer hunting uh, beliefs as well. And so, like I said, I, I think cold fronts appropriately get some hype, but it might be too much. There, there might be other factors involved there. Yeah. Speaking of hype, um, You know, one of the things I noticed this year is I was following the moon and the different theories around the moon and seeing how that tracked with my own observations. Now, again, you can't make too many claims or, you know, uh, what am I trying to say here? Out of one person's observations, you don't want to take too much out of that. So what I'm about to say here, don't take this as as fact across the board. This is just one person's observations, not even really data-driven. This is simply anecdotal. But I did try to track the different moon theories, the red moon theories, you know, when the moon's overhead or underfoot, or if the moon is rising or setting um, early or late in the day, um, and seeing if that correlated with increased activity. So on the days when the moon was good, did I also see the activity bump that you're supposed to? And I can't say that I really saw anything noticeable. Um, I didn't, you know, go into those days and, and, and just get floored by, oh my gosh, yeah, this is incredible, and it was on those right days. Um, but again, I wasn't tracking it so closely that I could say that, you know, if I was really good about this, I would have tracked how many deer I saw 
per hour or something throughout the entire season and then look at the days with the right moon conditions and I could tell you, oh, well, on those days there was actually a 4% increased you know, site rating or something like that. If I had that kind of data, then maybe we could pull some conclusions. Um, I don't, but just from my general observation standpoint, it didn't feel like I saw anything different on those good moon days. Um, and I've been tracking it for a handful of days. I'm still up in the air on it. Um, again, to what you said, Spencer, the, the, the research and science out there doesn't point to any kind of correlation. They have not been able to find a correlation. Um, but there's a whole heck of a lot of good deer hunters that still believe it. So that's, that's an interesting thing. Um, but I realize I'm pulling things off the rail here, Spencer. I've totally taken you off of your, your <laughs> five trends. Uh, so maybe we want to get back onto your, your track. Yeah, so back to the five trends. The first two that we just covered was the the EHD recovery and then the October cold front. Uh, the third one, keeping that October theme, was the huge acorn crop that it seemed like everybody was dealing with this year. And that was whether you're in Arkansas or Wisconsin or Vermont uh, or Nebraska, there was just everybody was talking about the acorns and that could be good and bad. Uh, some guys felt it was suppressing the movement in October that you had to, you know, work harder to, to find the deer um, or others were excited about it a little bit later in the year. So did you see a, a large acorn crop in, in Michigan or a lot of your contacts that you've talked to uh, hit on that hot topic this year? Yeah, I think that was something that I saw as well. And I think, um, to that point, if you were hunting in a situation where you were kind of hoping for or dependent on activities on ag-related food sources or food plots, that's where the acorn crop maybe screwed things up for you. Because if you had like all of your early season or mid-October setups, you know, over food like a you know green food source or food plot of some kind, like I had a couple of setups like that, um, I had very little activity on those spots in daylight. Um, especially mature bucks compared to past years. And I think a lot of that can be attributed to what you just said, that a lot of these deer, they didn't need to go out into the fields during daylight because they had food in the timber right next to their bedding, um, which you know, just makes it more difficult. If you can't get in there, it's very tough to catch these deer in daylight. So, so yeah, I heard a lot of people mention that same thing, and I saw some of that as well. Yeah, I'd say the acorns uh, in October played a big role in how a lot of archers, you know, whether they had success or not in, in 2017. So the fourth theme uh, that I noticed was the late harvest as far as corn and soybeans. It seemed like we had a wet beginning of the year and then pretty mild temperatures that seemed to keep farmers out of the fields and maybe some timely rains that uh, kept farmers out of the fields as well. And that can change things on a whole number of different scales um i guess you could see deer that consistently stay in fields that never come out you know i, I find deer in south dakota that will bed in sloughs in the middle of a cornfield and you won't see them until harvest uh or that could be good for you if you have some of the only food around um so if you're dependent on corn or soybeans you had likely had a late harvest this year and that was something that you were always uh, game planning around Mm-hmm. Definitely something that impacts things. Uh, here, specifically in southern Michigan, we actually had early harvest. Um, we had the crops coming out here earlier than I ever remember, but that, that could have been unique to just right where I'm at. Um, but I saw like the opposite of what you just said, and that with that early um, with the early har harvest of the cornfields and stuff, lots of times that standing corn would keep deer in some of these areas that maybe didn't have good cover otherwise. So when those came down so early, in, in our case, it was like mid-October that these cornfields were coming down. Um, that changed things up just a lot sooner than usual because more often than not, I'm seeing, you know, standing cornfields coming down, you know, in the first to second week of November maybe around here. And it was almost a full month earlier for me here so that that just changed things for me just in a different way but yeah the timing of the harvest that's a big one whether it's early or late you just need to stay on top of that if you hunt in an area where uh where those things are happening right and like i said some guys were fired up about it and other guys uh were down on if you were a gun hunter and you know you primarily hunt a big open cut cornfield and that cornfield wasn't cut then obviously that made things difficult for you but if you uh came upon you know, mid-November and your corn hadn't been harvested, you're an archer and you had some of the only food around, uh, then, then that might have been great for your situation. So the, the late harvest uh, 
just played a role for everybody, it seemed like, whether good or bad. Yeah. I, I always selfishly have always liked it when we get a late harvest. I always root for standing cornfields to still be standing on November 15th <laughs> because that's our opening day of gun season. And I always feel like if you've got a lot of standing cornfields, when gun season opens up, there's just going to be more young bucks that make it through to next year. I, I've always, I wish I could somehow track that. Um, to see if the the rate of bucks that reach maturity the year after a late harvest year is higher, because I gotta believe that those those standing cornfields save a lot of young bucks if they're present. Um, that definitely didn't happen for us this year, where I'm at. Least. Well, and then the fifth theme uh, is just the month of December and how the weather was then. It seemed like the first 15 days or the, or the first half of December was fairly mild and. Uh, that was kind of frustrating and, and maddening for a lot of guys who rely on those good late season hunts. It didn't push the deer onto the food plots that it normally would. It, it didn't uh, congregate them. It didn't push them into the winter bedding areas where they'd maybe be seeking some better cover. And so it seemed like the first half of December uh, was kind of frustrating with the mild weather that we had for, for deer hunters at least. And then the second half of December brought some harsher conditions, some snow, um, some wind and, and some cold that uh, did end up helping guys out. People were excited that their plots finally had some activity or that their late season food source felt like it was being treated like a late season food source as opposed to, you know, just a couple of days prior in, in early December. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we definitely, I definitely felt that for sure. Super warm early December, super cold now in late December. Um, which, which leads me to a question, which is, and I found myself in this situation in the past, even this year, I was thinking about it a little bit, right? It was early December and I wanted to wait for a good cold front. Um, but then I was thinking as December ticked along, you know, now it's the seventh, eighth, ninth, now it's the 11th, 12th, 13th, and you're waiting for this great weather. Well, what happens if it never comes? Like at, at, what, at what point do you need to say, well, I just got to start hunting these late season deer because we're not going to get that mega cold front. So do you, do you just start going because you can't wait because the season could just slip by or, or is the lesson learned from this year that no, you should have stayed patient because if you waited until the 20th, now you had this incredible weather that did get the big bucks all on the food sources in daylight um, versus, you know, if you had been pounding it on the 8th, 9th, 10th when it was kind of mediocre temperatures, um, maybe you would have pressured those deer and now you don't get to see them when the really cold temperatures hit. Um, I don't know. I, f I found myself struggle with this in the late season every year. Like, how long do I wait? until I start hunting because you want that perfect weather, but you also, you also need to take some, take some opportunities to get out there in the woods. Um, but it's that balancing act cause you don't want to pressure them too much at this time of year. Did you hear anything along those lines from any of the other guys or from your experience, Spencer, as far as, you know, do you, do you go for it anyways, or do you keep on being patient and wait and wait and wait till we do get that primo weather? Nothing like that came up specifically in this episode, but just reflecting on, um, you know, who we talked to in the month of December, and it just seemed like a lot of selective pressure. And I remember talking to, it might have been Brett Joy in the Northeast here a couple of weeks ago, and, uh, you know, their season was like three days away from closing. And I think I asked something about, you know, how aggressive are you right now? And he said, well, there's three days of the season left, so extremely aggressive. Um, so that seems kind of obvious there that once it gets down to the wire, uh, that you have to be more aggressive. But then I remember talking to some other guys who said, well, you know, we have until January 15th. And so if we bump a deer now, that might be the last time we see him this season. So just a selective pressure. And I, I guess I don't know what the great answer is, unless you have a crystal ball to, to see what the weather is, is coming. Uh, just got to roll the dice with those hunts. It really is about being selective, about picking the right times to go in there. And it's like you said, it's hard to make, hard to know what's coming. But uh, I guess that's why deer hunting is so much fun because there's a lot of unknowns and you got to make decisions, make some assumptions, work off of them and hope for the best. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. So, well, those are the five things that, that I felt like. Um, really were the theme of 2017 across you know the whitetail nation with everybody this week i asked him if there's something that they felt like they picked up from this last fall that they can use going forward uh maybe a, a lesson that they learned in 2017 that they'll use in 2018 and, and seasons after that so is there something you mark that you feel like you learned uh in 2017 that was really eye-opening for you man um 
there's a lot. Um, but if I had to pick one thing to mention now, I'll be expanding on these in our next Wired Hunt podcast, but if I were to offer one thing right now, um, it might... Eh, heck, where, what do I want to say here? Don't look at your phone too much. I'll keep it simple. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, in all seriousness, I think um, I think it's just been a season where, man, see, I still haven't collected all my own thoughts on things. It's still so fresh for me. A lot of a lot of my lessons learned this year were more related to my own personal situation, you know, with my hunt for Holyfield, and that kind of consumed everything that I did this year. So I didn't necessarily get to have as many lessons learned um, outside of that one experience because so much of what I did was a, was revolving around that deer. Um, so I do think that one big lesson learned I had this year was just about goal setting um, and sometimes um, putting all your eggs in one basket isn't always as good of an idea. And I think doing what I did kept me from doing a lot of the other things that I think I would have enjoyed and would have made for a great hunting season as well. But I was so obsessed with this one thing. Um, now I realize this is not at all relevant to the rest of the audience who might be looking (laughs) for some kind of really (laughs) high level deer hunting insight. So maybe I should just shut up and (laughs) listen to what your observation or lesson learned is because I'm sure it's more helpful than everything I've just been rambling about. Well, my lesson learned from 2017 was it goes back to me killing that buck on September 30th. And I I rarely have had much for early season success to, excuse me, to that point where I I can kill a mature buck like that. I think one of the biggest things it was attributed to was just the complete lack of pressure that I had put on that property. Um, As I said earlier this year, I got married in June and then I moved into a new house in August. And so that really uh, took away a lot of my opportunities to be out scouting and hanging cameras and uh, doing things like that. And so I was just hunting some historical movement on that hunt. uh, And that property hadn't had my boots on it since, I don't know, six months prior, probably. And so I think that just made a huge difference. Had I been there, you know, multiple times hanging cameras or, you know, coming in and out on a four-wheeler or anything like that, uh, I can't imagine I would have had an opportunity at that buck. And so it just showed me that less is more um, for, for that time of year. It's made me rethink potentially using some cell cameras or, you know, dialing way back on cameras in general so I'm not tempted to go check them you know September 15th and and things like that so it's uh showed me that you can have some success early season if you're just very very careful about it yeah I 100% agree I think that's a great point um so Spencer if you were to look back on the last four months of hunting how would you rate the deer hunting on a scale of one to ten for you? Uh, for me, I, I really couldn't have asked for a better season, so it, it was a 10 for myself. I uh, <laughs> had the 166-inch buck in September, and then I, I killed a, a public land mule deer I was very happy with, and then a 140-inch buck in, in November, um, so I, I was very satisfied. When I put together my season you know, in, in the spring and summer, that's the kind of season I envision happening, and so I, I couldn't have asked for a better year. Do we want to move on to the rest of the people? Yeah, we just rambled for 30 minutes, so we've uh, <laughs> doubled a, a normal radio episode. So I will uh, talk to you in 2018. Sounds good, Spencer. Thanks a lot for doing this, and thank you, everyone, for listening and uh, for those who participated, too. Just for me personally, um, I appreciate you guys working with Spencer. He can be a real bear to work with. So. <laughs> good stuff. All right, thanks, Mark. Before we get to our first update, though, let's pause to thank our sponsors at Sitka Gear. For this week's Sitka story, we're joined by Sitka Ambassador Alex Templeton, who tells us about some exciting whitetail action from early November. I had been hunting consistently all season long in Missouri with no luck, and uh, at the end of October, I had the opportunity to go to Illinois, which came at a good time because the weather at home was really warm and the deer weren't moving at all. So after hunting a week in Illinois, coming home empty-handed, I was very determined to kill a deer with my bow before rifle season opened up in Missouri, which is on November 15th every year. Um, At this point, it was the beginning of November. um, 
and the weather can be hit or miss this time of the year as well. And this is when the rut is starting to kick off at the beginning of November. So I had pretty high hopes for good deer movement. And um, after a couple long days and nights sitting on an evening hunt on my favorite farm, I had a clean eight come by and he offered me a perfect broadside shot. And I absolutely smoked him and I saw him go down about 60 yards away from my stand and I was super excited and pretty proud of myself. On Alex's hunt, she was wearing Sitka's Elevated 2 pattern in the women's line. If you'd like to create a Sitka story of your own, or to learn more about Sitka's technical hunting apparel, visit SitkaGear.com. Alright, and joining me on the line first is Bryce Lamley out of Nebraska with Sitka Gear. Now Bryce, in Nebraska, what kind of a season did you have this year? Well, pretty good. I, I had to work really hard. I hunted 76 times before our gun season and ended up killing a, about 120-inch 5x5 um, over a mock scrape in October and then two days before rifle season killed a 136-inch um, buck um, right in the evening, just like I said, right before rifle season. But I had to work really hard for him, and the, and the 136 was the second biggest deer I saw. Well, Bryce, that sounds like a great year. And uh, this past year, what are some of the big themes that you noticed there in Nebraska as far as, uh, you know, weather, timing of the rut, things like that? Well, one of the things is I don't think Nebraska, at least eastern Nebraska, has really recovered totally from the EHD epidemic we had in 2012. And we've had a little bit of a touch of it the last year or two as well. But 2012, we got hammered pretty hard, and it really knocked our numbers back. And we're still not back to where they were before that. And I don't know if they ever will be back because I think Game and Parks Commission um, felt some heat from a lot of farmers about deer numbers at that time. But deer numbers are still rebounding. Let's just put it that way. Weather-wise, um, the, we had an extremely wet early season. And then it was like somebody shut the water off about mid-October or so. And it's been dry ever since. And um, I, I don't know if we've had an inch of rain since probably mid-October. And uh, it's still very dry right now. Well, Bryce, do the conditions from 2017 uh, feel similar to anything else that you can recall in years past? Well, one of the um, one of the interesting things is we didn't get any. We had one snow, I think, in October in eastern Nebraska. And it, it lasted 12 hours, and then we really didn't get any snow or cold weather until just right here at the end. Uh, the lake I live on near uh, in just west of Omaha, Nebraska, is um, it didn't ice over until after Christmas. I mean, there were guys in their kayaks on Christmas Day celebrating that, although the ice fishermen haven't been real happy about it. But it, it was really mild temperatures. And I just remember one year, and I couldn't tell you what year it was, but we had one year where the first measure, measurable snow was December 31st, and kind of a memorable hunt. I killed a doe that day. But it was uh, it was just kind of like that. It was just an unusual year with, without a lot of precipitation throughout what you would generally consider to be the best hunting days and, and weeks well let's go back to to talking about that moisture and how do you think um that amount of moisture that you guys received early season affected things then how do you think it affected things come the rut and then ultimately late season well i think the amount of rain we had early on in some areas really helped define deer movement to some extent because it it made some areas i mean deer can get through it but they're essentially lazy if they if they can be and so it, it actually, in some, in some of my areas, helped define the deer movement. But when it started turning dry, I think it really led to less scraping activity, if that's possible, because I didn't pick up as many um, or as much scraping activity um, that, you know, in, in, the, in the prime time, last half of October and so forth. And as I usually do, and the ground was just, um, you know, rock hard in many cases. And I heard that from some of my buddies over in eastern Iowa, too. They just kept saying, we need some water to get these deer to, to be more active in the scrapes. And so I do think it had a little bit of an effect there um, with, the, with the rut just a little bit. And, and our rut in eastern Nebraska, it depends on who you talk to, but for me, I, you know, I hunted really hard all the way through um, about November 20th, and I was out of buck tags. And it was, it was not a really – there was never any really strong – days where I was just like, wow, this is a circus. And most years I'll get some of that. Um, now I have a brother out in southwest Nebraska that's just as hard as I do, and he said it was crazy out there, a uh, combination of whitetail and mule deer hunting. 
So I think it probably depends on where you were at. But I know in, in eastern Nebraska, uh, myself and several others were a little bit disappointed in that. Well, Bryce, you have a, a long resume of successful whitetail hunting with a bow. Uh, but in 2017, do you feel like that you learned anything new or that uh, you know, oh. the, the weather, the, the rut, anything changed for you that, that really uh, is something you'll apply going forward? Well, I, yeah, one of the, I think one of our goals should be to learn something every time we hunt. And this year I dealt with a land, uh, property that had been basically 99% bulldozed. And uh, it was just a pasture. There's no cattle on it. And the, it grew up in a lot of weeds. And so I, you know, it was a learning experience for me, basically hunting a weed field. But I did have a lot of, of activity in there. Once the corn came out, there was a lot of deer activity in the weeds and so forth. And so maybe I'm getting a little bit of a feel for, for guys that hunt CRP quite a bit. Um, I'm starting to get a feel for that. I'm, and maybe a newfound respect for that. I was really depressed about what was happening to this property, but now not so much. And even after I killed my buck, um, I had a really close encounter with the biggest deer I saw all year, a 140, on that property. And, and I hope he made it. I, I think he did. And so it'll be interesting to match wits with him again. Um, it's a little bit different type of hunting. They can see you coming a lot further away in many cases. But I, I think that there are some things you can do with, with a lot of grass and a lot of weeds. And um, I'm hopefully learning to... to adapt to the changes i guess all right bryce well great intel thanks for joining me and good luck in the 2018 season i appreciate it thank you spencer all right and joining us on the line next is alec gilstrom out of illinois with whitetail properties now alex in illinois what kind of season have you had thus far it's been a it's been a blessed one man i gotta tell you um really good uh really good hunting from really from the word go uh we had really good really good weather come in really good uh, cold front steer movement's been spot on um we had an awesome uh an awesome rut here in in early november um i actually killed a buck on the 10th and it was it was one of those mornings that we dream about you know i mean it was i was tucked in close to some security cover it was up against the bedding area transition line along crp it was it was perfect just in it kind of way it kind of pinched down with this um with the terrain as well as the cover um, created a really just kind of good natural funnel. And I shot the buck at nine 30 in the morning. And he was the 11th buck that I saw that morning. Uh, it's kind of one of those, like I said, one of those ones you just dream about. So, uh, that was great. Well, let's talk about that weather a little more that, uh, it sounds like you think led to some of your successes this year, uh, starting in October and then going to November, December. How do you think the weather uh, affected buck movement this season? I think it was really good in, in, in the area that I was hunting, uh, here in West central Illinois. Um, that's where I spent much where I lived, where I spent most of my time. Um, and it really, it was, it was fairly mild, um, you know, kind of throughout, but we had, we had just, I mean, you, you couldn't, you couldn't pull up a calendar and point to where you want cold fronts to fall any better than what they did. I mean, it, it really was, um, awesome to see that. And, and the, the, the temps fell at the right time, pressure was high at the right time. Um, and the deer movement reflected that. Um, so that was, that was really great. And, uh, so overall, it wasn't like we had a, an, an, you know, unusually cold, uh, fall as far as general temperatures go. Um, I would say it was probably fairly average here to slightly a little bit above average as far as the, the, uh, the standard temperature went. But, um, like I said, you know, we had those, those anywhere from 10 to 20 degree drops situated in the right times. And by the right times, I'm talking, you know, um, that the last 10 days of October, we had a good one. Um, and then the first, I'd say, you know, the first few days of, of November, a little bit warm, then it dipped off, I think right around the fifth or the sixth, if I remember remembering correctly, we had another, another good front move in and, and made, you know, the sixth to the, the 12th or 13th really, really strong. So it was, uh, it was awesome to see that. And, and like I said, it just kind of, you couldn't, you couldn't point on, point on a calendar to have, you know, I want a cold front during this time frame when, you know, their daylight movement's really picking up and they're getting really active. Um, as far as the mature bucks go, uh, you, you couldn't ask for any better really. Well, from talking to hunters all across the nation, uh, this season, one common theme that I heard from everybody was acorns and how did acorns play a role in Illinois and your hunting and specifically? Yeah, man, that, yeah, that doesn't surprise me that that was a hot topic this year, just because 
um it, it was <laughs> they were they were everywhere i mean it was it was nuts from i mean it's it's always cool you get excited whenever you see the white oaks i mean that's that's a year at least you know in the midwest especially in you know, western illinois here if you have white oaks the deer just love them um they were loaded this year it seemed like pin oaks and red oaks were really good too i mean if you had if you had good oak trees and and they were definitely loaded up with acorns there's no question um and i kind of had a again it's kind of a bittersweet uh, relationship with acorns this year at one of my farms that i i'm i got the privilege to hunt on and it's i don't i don't have any leases or anything like that so it's i i've got permission on a couple places and, and actually hunt some uh hunts a public too quite a bit so um it, you kind of got to pick and choose your your battles as far as that goes but um it's uh one of them in particular uh had, had, it was loaded with oaks um kind of these had these you know two big ridges that run through the property and they were loaded with oaks so it, it kind of dispersed the deer a little bit because there were so many oak trees and then um so that made it really it made it tough it, made, it makes it tough when you have that too it makes it tough for access because you know the deer aren't quote unquote where they're supposed to be at the right times when you're trying to get in and out of the property and um you, you it always seems like you end up bumping more deer just because they're kind of scattered out more and, and it changes their patterns a little bit especially when they're transitioning off of the early season food sources um uh but then you know conversely on the other side i do have a piece of property where um it's got a bunch of ridges that kind of come together and at the point of where they all come together that's where there's kind of like a concentration of these um of these oaks are and actually it's the farm where i ended up killing my illinois deer and, and i was actually on one of the ridges instead of on the, the concentration point i had hunted that a decent amount of times and hadn't had any luck and moved off to a to a different ridge and um and, I, and i'm i'm only kind of guessing that's where he was headed uh just in terms of travel patterns and kind of figuring out what they were doing on this particular farm uh he was kind of headed to that back to you know and then they bed off uh farther away from it on, on beyond that that center point where the ridges kind of come together but he was definitely headed in that direction um and i attribute a lot of that to you know to those acorns because having that concentration of those oaks in that particular you know um, and then you you you, do, you couple that with uh terrain features of the ridges coming together um it made for an awesome combination i mean we saw like i said the morning i killed my buck there was uh here in illinois there was a that was the 11th buck i saw that morning not to mention you know a dozen does or so um so it, it definitely was cool because it concentrated the the deer in that area and then you you, know, you top the the, the pre-rut or the rut on top of that it just made for made for really good so i kind of saw both both ends of that spectrum but yeah i mean if if you had a lot of oaks or a lot of acorns in your hunting area i have no it does not surprise me one bit that there was a there you know you kind of kind of gave you a headache this year well, Alex, what is one thing that you've taken away from this last fall, uh, the 2017 season, that something you think you can apply going forward or, or something that's really going to stick with you in, in the years to come? Honestly, for me, I mean, I've always been a huge proponent of postseason scouting, um, and, and I've done it for, for quite a while, and, and, it's, and it just continues to, to add more confidence and more success to each year, and, and I'm just going to do even more of that this year. I mean, when you can really go in in the early spring before green up and, and shortly after snow melt, and you can kind of really start to put the pieces of the puzzle together on bedding areas and feeding areas, travel routes, deer sign, I mean, buck sign in general, uh, deer sign in general, uh, it really can do wonders um, to, to really get a good understanding of how the deer are using this particular property, property you're hunting. Um, and I'd say that, and coupled with one of the other really, really cool things I got to do this year was, um, and we're at Western Illinois, you know, we're in, we're in hill country here. There's a lot of ridges and, 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 you know, kind of rising terrain and a lot of differentiation between terrain. And, um, I'd hunted a lead a little bit, just kind of, you know, sporadically in the past, but, you know, actually having a full, you know, season here since I moved here to really dedicate to, to the, ter to understanding hill country hunting and terrain has been a lot of fun. I've actually really enjoyed just kind of how the, how the deer, especially the mature bucks kind of use the terrain to their advantage, everything from thermals and wind direction to just general travel patterns. Um, it's been really, really cool from what I'm used to. I usually, I grew up in Southwest Michigan and there just isn't much terrain there. So, uh, kind of throwing that, throwing that curveball into the mix has been a lot of fun this year. As far as HD goes, you know, it's always a hot topic, especially the last couple of years here. And I feel like here in Western Illinois, you know, what we call it's historically known as the golden triangle. We were definitely affected in the 2012, you know, die off. Um, but now it's, 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 it's really exciting looking forward, you know, thank God we've had relief the last couple of years we haven't been affected by it but uh to see the age structure you know every time the hd is kind of hitting that reset button it's almost like but 
um, to see that age structure really come back. Um, I think the next year and especially two years from now, barring any, uh, EHD disasters, um, I think we're going to see some of the best hunting that's ever been here, or at least similar to what it was in the late nineties, early two thousands, like everybody talks about, um, age structure to really come back and, and it's, and it's been an exciting time to see, you know, a lot of great, great three-year-olds, awesome for you. I mean, and then you're really getting, you know, the, the quantity of mature bucks is certainly coming back too. So, um, I think we're in good shape. All right, Alex, well, congrats on your 2017 successes and good luck in 2018. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Spencer. Same to you. Before we get to our next caller, though, let's pause to thank our sponsors at Whitetail Properties. This week with Whitetail Properties, we are joined by Tom James, a land specialist out of central Indiana. And Tom is going to be telling us about what the very first habitat improvements should be for a land manager. Good question. Um, Some of the first key things, the fundamentals that you want to think about is when you think in terms of what a deer requires, the the food security cover and water. And uh, the QDMA has a great analogy of the thinking about the lowest hole on the bucket that you need to plug up to keep the water from leaking out. So what could be missing on your property that the surrounding land may have? And so you want to do a quick assessment. Maybe it's food, maybe it's water, maybe if you can uh, maybe it's cover. If you can look through your woods and see 200 yards, then you've got an issue with, with uh, too much shade, not enough sunlight, creating new uh, potential browse and, and cover for your deer. So maybe it's a timber, uh, a timber, either stand improvement or a harvest or a combination of two. That's going to allow some more new growth to come in and thicken up your property. Maybe it's as simple as you not leaving an area alone as a sanctuary. If you're traipsing all over 40 acres and pushing deer off every time you go, then that's, that's obviously an issue. So maybe just an adjustment in the way that you move around and hunt the property and approach things. Uh, if food is your lacking ingredient or your lowest hole in the bucket, then even in timber, it takes some work, but you can certainly clear out some openings and, and plant food. Um, and I would suggest considering both uh, perennial food and annual food, stuff that you can leave in like clover and chicory as a perennial coming back every year and do some fall planted cereal grains and brassicas for the fall time. So you've got a year round program going on. And typically it's not an issue in the Midwest, but if, if water is a lacking ingredient, then maybe you can create a water hole or, or even some of the new systems like the banks, water uh, watering uh, tanks that you can set up that are mobile and fill up and provide water sources for your deer so that they don't have to leave the property to water. Um, again, it's fairly rare, but that could be a consideration. If you'd like to learn more and to see the properties that Tom currently has listed for sale, visit whitetailproperties.com backslash James. That's J-A-M-E-S. All right, and joining us on the line next out of New York is Matt Ross with QDMA. Now, Matt, how has your season gone thus far in New York? I had a great season. Uh, Our season typically opens... uh, as most do in early October and it closes about the third week in December. And I got out a fair amount this year, uh, more so than in 2016. So I, I call it, chalk that up as a success. Um, harvested a doe with my, uh, bow pretty early on. I, um, I killed a couple of does during, uh, rifle season as well. Um, pass on a lot of young bucks, uh, New York state's, uh, one of those states that uh, is still has pretty high proportions of young bucks in the harvest and um, trying to, be, to do my part and pass up some of those young bucks and uh, trying to shoot an older class, age class deer and ended up without a uh, an empty buck tag. So uh, did not take a buck this year, but I still had a very good season uh, regardless. Well, Matt, what are some of your big takeaways from 2017 uh, as far as what are some of the big themes that you noticed, weather-related or crops-related or food sources-related or otherwise? I'll tell you, at least where I hunt in the eastern part of the, the state, crop-related, there, there was a lot of corn uh, standing late in the year this year. I think part of the the process with farming in this part of the country, there's a lot of dairy farms. Um and it really slowed things down going into the into the mid part of the season. Obviously, with all that standing corn, the deer still uh, the visibility of them uh, a little bit limited. Um, it certainly helped to a degree, but with some properties that that may have been set up that way. So crop wise, I 
saw corn standing a lot longer than it had in the past. Weather was pretty standard as in uh, other years. I mean, there was no major events that threw things off. I'll tell you, rut-wise, though, the thing that I did notice was we did have a pretty good rut during the archery season in the southern part of New York. Um, there was good activity. There was good chasing, a lot of daylight activity. And it seemed to, to trickle off and, and slow down right before our firearm season opened. So um, in terms of saving some of those young deer, it was a good thing. It probably uh, changed the dynamic in terms of what deer were shot. But uh, um, overall, it was a good season. Nothing really out of the norm, though, for what I have experienced in the past. You touched on some of the, the food sources in western New York with the cornfields. Uh, how about some of those natural food sources, the acorns, the apples, uh, just generally in the northeast this season? We, our uh, soft mass production this year seemed like it was at a, at a higher level from what I personally experienced and saw, uh, especially apples. Um, and from talking to other people, I think we had one of those years with the flowering and everything kind of working in favor and having a lot of apples on trees. Um, I think it was like three years ago, um, we had a really crazy apple year. So in in that sense, it seemed up. Um, Acorns were spotty, though, uh, and beech nuts. I hadn't heard any major regions, at least throughout the New England, New York area, where there was just a lot of acorns on the ground. Um, That certainly can throw a wrench in your plans when it does happen spotty can be good, um, especially for setting up strategy, finding trees that are good producers and have a lot of acorns under them. And uh, I I personally did not uh, capitalize on that, but I have a friend that really did capitalize and shot a couple uh, good deer based on acorn production on some trees. So um, it was spotty this year in the Northeast as far as I could see. Well, Matt, is there any big takeaway that you had from 2017, uh, maybe a lesson that you've learned that you'd apply going forward into 2018 and seasons beyond that? I enjoyed my 2017 season uh, greatly, actually. I, I tried to take a little bit uh, different perspective this year, enjoyed my time outside and not get too serious about it. Um, I get, I have found myself in the past, especially in the role I play with QDMA, to get, you know, really uh, intense about hunting. And I tried to enjoy my time of field this year in a little bit different mindset and going out there and just enjoying being in the tree. And that could also come with age. Um, as I get older, I kind of enjoy that as well. Uh, one thing I did do this year was I have a uh, close friend that's a forester as well as myself, and he's been asking and inquiring about hunting for a couple of years. And I really made time to take him out this year and get him his first deer and that made my season. And I, I know it's cliche to say it, but for the listeners out there, if you've ever had a coworker or a relative or um, spouse's um, relative or somebody that is in your periphery that has shown interest, make sure you take some time out for, for them because it really was an amazing experience getting uh, my friend his first year. And I, I really look forward to next season doing the same thing. Uh, I'm going to try to make that a tradition for myself to, is to introduce somebody new every year. Yeah, I think that sounds like a, a great thing to work on, not just for, for you, but for all hunters. So thanks for joining me, Matt, and good luck in 2018. Thanks, Spencer. Thanks for having me. All right, and joining us on the line next out of Minnesota is Tony Peterson with Bow Hunter Magazine. Now, Tony, I know you've been all over the Midwest and, and the Great Plains this year, and uh, how has your season gone thus far? Man, I had a good season. Um, pretty good, I should say. I, I, I killed four bucks and a couple does, all bow hunting this year. Um, most of them were on public land. You know, My only hiccup this year was Wisconsin, which just absolutely kicked my butt. But otherwise, um, just had a really solid season. Well, Tony, did you notice anything on the public land this year uh, that was different than maybe most years or something stuck out to you in 2017? Um, I would say what I noticed this year was a few more people. Um, I don't I don't think our hunter numbers are going through the roof or anything like that. So I think it just must be more people either hunting public land or taking these trips, you know, similar kind of trips that I take. Uh, but I definitely had some company this year and it felt like more company than usual. How about your rut hunting? Uh, was anything unique there as far as the activity that you saw or the weather you experienced? Um, the weather that I experienced during the rut, I, I spent about nine days hunting uh, 
northern Wisconsin, mostly on public land. And the weather was really cold. And the activity was guys on four wheelers going out to set their bait sites up from what I could tell. Um, so it was just difficult. Um, it was not, I, I did see some chasing, some activity. I saw a few really good bucks, um, just randomly, but nothing that ever just felt like it was clicking like it should during the rut. How about the weather, uh, from the 2017 season, either early season or, uh, you know, up until now late season. Um, you know, our late season here has been stupid cold, um, you know, almost painful to go outside. I've been out trying to shoot a doe here in Minnesota and, um, it's really not that much fun. Um, you know, early season, you know, you, you get your weather swings and the, the worst weather I probably had was in South Dakota in your home state when I, uh, camped in the downpour and hunted in the downpour for three, four days. Um, that was probably the worst weather I had. We've covered some diverse areas this year, uh, from you know Wisconsin to to South Dakota and stuff. What have you noticed with different food sources this fall? Um, you know, I felt like there was quite a bit of food out there here in Minnesota. Uh, you know, I hunted different a few different properties throughout the state, and um, some places I hunted, especially southeastern Minnesota. Uh, I, I was around quite a few acorns. You know, the acorn crop, the hard mass seemed pretty solid. Um, up here where I live just north of the Twin Cities, it wasn't nearly as good. Um, you know, we had a late corn harvest in a lot of places that, that affected some things for sure. I think it affected the gun hunters more than anything, but you know, it was definitely a factor. Um, but you know, it's it's the stuff that you deal with every year, um, in one capacity or another. Well, spending a lot of time in the Dakotas, I know you're in some areas that were ravished by EHD in the last five or six years. What have you seen for deer numbers this year, uh, as opposed to maybe 2016 or 2015? Um, you know, South Dakota, I hunted South Dakota and North Dakota on public land in, in spots that had been hit by EHD, and I still thought the numbers were pretty solid. Um, I don't think there's as many deer where I hunt in South Dakota as there was maybe five or six years ago, but the population is still pretty good. And where I went in North Dakota, they've been hit by EHD randomly, you know, a few times over the last decade. And I saw an awful lot of whitetails and quite a few mule deer. And, um, you know, the river bottom where those whitetails live didn't, didn't seem to be affected too much. Well, Tony, you're one of the best whitetail bow hunters that I know, and I imagine uh, having that kind of title that you're learning new things every year. Is there something in 2017 that you picked up that you think maybe you can apply to 2018 or other seasons going forward? Man, uh, I don't know if that title applies or not. If you just saw me in Wisconsin, I'm not so sure. Um, But one thing I will say about this year, and I've talked about this quite a bit, uh, is, man, I'm I'm to the point now where I want to I want to scout fresh sign and hang a newsstand every chance I can, and I'm just I'm just going that kind of old school route where you find a rub line, hang a stand. If it doesn't shake out, you move it, and that that lesson is coming back to me hard over the last few years. Well, Tony, good luck in uh, 2018, and congrats on all your successes in 2017. Thanks for joining me. Awesome, thanks, man. And that concludes this week's episode and this season's final episode of Wired Hunts Rut Radio. I want to thank our sponsors at Sitka, Matthews, Trophy Ridge, Yeti, Whitehill Institute, Whitehill Properties, Huntera, and Maven. And we thank you guys for listening. I also want to thank everyone who contributed to this year's episodes, uh, all 57 of you who provided reports uh, from New Hampshire to Louisiana up to North Dakota. You guys have made this podcast possible. So good luck to everybody as we transition into shed hunting and turkey hunting and summer scouting and everything else until I talk to you guys again next September. Until then, if you want to follow along with some of my other work, uh, you can check me out on Instagram at Spencer Newharth, or you can see my website where most of my writing and photography lives, boothcommunications.com. I'll talk to you guys again in Season 3 of Rut Radio, but until then, stay wired to hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. 
You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. 